these world leaders love it because they just spent the last two years terrorizing us and ruining our lives. And now they're just like, oh, look at that Putin guy. He's the one that's really causing all your problems. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Really excited about my guest today, Jordan Schachtel. I hope I pronounced that right, but he's an independent journalist. He, I've been following him for a really long time. Um, everything, you know, most of the time, everything he says is something I'm completely on board with. He's very fair, very objective, very impartial. Uh, he also is a podcast host himself, but I'm going to let him get into that and what it is exactly. But I just want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me on. Now, I, you obviously run a podcast yourself. Before we go today, I really want to hear about that. But what I want to sort of kick off the podcast with is a lot of the commentary you've been offering at the moment with World War Three, like they like to label it, but uh, between Russia and Ukraine, I felt that you have a very fair perspective and um I don't know if you found a similar trend, but for myself, a lot of people that I have respected for a long time, a lot of people I thought was sort of, you know, like-minded to myself, I, I feel like have fallen into a trap of, I guess, commentating with emotion and not necessarily on objective truths. I feel like you've really captured that pretty well. And so I kind of wanted to uh, pick your brain about things you've found um, things that you've researched, uh, things that I've seen you tweet about, and I guess a little bit more of the context of what's happening. So, I mean, what do you think's going on over there at the moment? And I know that's a very broad question, but um, there is background, there is context, and I'd love for, to sort of hear what you've found when you've sort of gone looking for those things. Yeah, I don't know how the, the public is um, reacting to it in Australia, but in America, there's this weird thing going around where a lot of all of our politicians and a lot of Americans are under the impression that this whole thing has just um, started a couple of weeks ago in late February of 2022 that um, the, the, our corporate press is telling us that Vladimir Putin just one day decided to invade Ukraine and there was no reason why he did it. And anyone asking any further questions is a agent for Russian disinformation. <laughs> so we have a very hostile media environment today that reminds me of the early days of COVID where even questioning, asking legitimate questions about the narrative will result in them attending, attempting to cancel you. I mean, it's so insane what we have on um, TV right now with our CNNs and Fox News. Um, there's like unanimous support for this party narrative that that anything, that any possible grievance um, Russia could have is illegitimate and anything that Ukraine does um, is in their self-defense and that there's this um, dichotomy being drawn that Ukraine can do no wrong. They are this beacon of liberty and freedom and democracy. When I know that's not true because I've been a uh, you know, national security reporter for quite some time and I uh, studied these issues um, extensively. So you, they have, they're setting up this fake dichotomy where it's Ukraine, the liberty, freedom, a bunch of America, like there's a bunch of American founding fathers running around Ukraine, and then they have evil Putin who's invading them for no reason. So that's where 
people, I think we're at least half of our country is right now. They think that that is the reality. And what I've been trying to do is just to show people that there is a lot of nuance to what's going on. There are a lot of players involved. Um, the West has long played a role in trying to purposely upset the apple cart in terms of the regional stability there. And we should be aware of that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it seems like, I, I don't know if you've noticed as well, but usually every social justice cause comes with an emoji or an icon that you put in, in your Twitter bio. And when the same people who have had, you know, a black fist or, you know, a, one of those water drops for climate change, and when they start adding a Ukraine flag to their bio, I feel like it's a pretty good indication that maybe there's a little bit more at play, uh, only purely because I have nothing in common most of the time uh, with those particular people. So that was a red flag for me, just the virtue signaling that we've been seeing online. Um, there's people in Australia who are boycotting Russian products. We had our Coles supermarket get rid of the chicken Kiev. Uh, they've renamed our chicken Kiev. What are our grandmothers going to do, Jordan? Because that's their staple meal to feed us with. Um, but but, you know, things like this. And you've got to ask a question like, what good does this do for anybody? Um, is it really having an effect or a desired effect on the people that they want to so hit? But yeah, there's a lot of red flags. But um, you mentioned sort of before that there is a history, there is a context, there is things at play, that it wasn't just the last sort of two weeks that is being sort of perpetrated by the mainstream narrative. And that's exactly what we're sort of seeing over here in Australia as well. Now, are you able to, to the best of your ability, give us a little bit of a background prior to this last two weeks and kind of what you've seen or researched or reported on that sort of has led to this particular moment? Yeah, so, so it really started, of course, um, decades ago when Ukraine became an independent state and the United States uh, through NATO has been or at least the United States government through NATO in the post-Cold War era has been aggressively expanding NATO and continually moving eastward to the point where NATO started to line up on Russia's border. And you, know, you had Estonia, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and now is the big Ukraine question, which if Ukraine were to join NATO, and they had wanted to join NATO for a long time. And there were constant discussions in the US that they were thinking about potentially being able to join NATO. Um, this would have potentially cut off a strategic resource, um, which is a warm water port to the Russians. And the Russians for quite some time said that this issue would result in them invading the country essentially to get those warm water ports secured. Um, in my view, the US and the West pushed way too hard on NATO, didn't take Russia's legitimate concerns seriously. You know, Russia, a country that was invaded um, during World War II. So they kind of, you know, there's people who are actively living with those memories of facing an invasion in their cities. Um, 
the the American perspective is very different than the Russian perspective because um, it, it's hard for us to really see from that perspective. But in my opinion, both are genuine. There's a huge kind of like disconnect between what NATO means to us and what NATO means to the Russians. The Russians view it as this force that was built to oppose them. And this Ukraine problem has been a mess for a long time. Um, the US and Russia have been uh, attempting to control the government in Ukraine instead of, in my view, Ukraine should have tried to be bolstering its own sovereignty instead of trying to make partners, they should have been neutral. In the last several years, Ukraine has tilted so far west that in my view, the government is essentially a puppet <laughs> regime of, of the West. Um, like Vladimir Zelensky, the, the leader of Ukraine is literally an actor. <laughs> and, and, and he was, I think, selected for his acting abilities. But we have this kind of like picture that's being painted of Zelensky. He's a, he's a very carefully, there's a very carefully crafted image of what you're supposed to think when you view Zelensky. But anyway, so the Russians have invaded. Um, I obviously don't condone invasions of sovereign nations, but in my view, this was kind of one of those things where you're chucking stones at a hibernating bear for eight years and then eventually it comes out and then we're all pointing fingers at, at Russia. Um, there, there's a lot of bad actors on both sides um, and the issue is not nearly as simple as they want us to think it is. Yeah, and that's sort of where I'm at, where I, I'm not on any side other than we need to just be objective about the truths that we're talking about because all of these sort of, I guess, misinformation, propaganda and lies that's coming from both sides is actually affecting the truth and it's affecting what we're doing in the West. It's affecting how we operate over here. Um, and, you know, I think at this particular point in time, it benefits no one to take a side other than the side of the truth and the side of humanity. And I think you'd have to be mentally unstable to want any innocent lives from any particular side to be lost in, in in the crossfire of what seems to be two bads. And and I remember you tweeted and a couple of other people tweeted a while ago about um, how it's okay to be honest about things without, you know, you almost have to put like a um, a clause or, or something and admonition into every tweet. This doesn't mean I'm pro-Russia. This doesn't mean I'm pro-Putin. And it's incredibly frustrating because, you know, like the, the lines between truth and fiction are being blurred. And you mentioned um, the, you know, the, the leader of Ukraine and how he's an actor. And and I've actually seen you um, through the weeks debunk a lot of um, things that have been coming out in, in his favor. For example, fo photographs of him on the front line which ended up being from the movie that he acted in. I think it was in 2018. Um, but that's being used by so many people to kind of um, push the rhetoric, to push the the, the narrative and to, and to make us believe something instead of what, what the truth is. And I, I'm not sure, maybe he is on the front line, maybe he's not, but, you know, we, ca we can't lower ourselves to standards that we've been fighting against for so long by falling into the trap of misinformation. Um, and so there are a few things that you've debunked, you know, fr from sort of the beginning, um, like Snake Island, that with the 13 um, 
uh, soldiers that refused to comply and then the whole island was bombed or or something like that. And there's been a number of things, but can you think of um, just sort of off the top of your head, some of the main things that you've sort of debunked that the mainstream narrative has sort of put out in favour of, you know, what they're trying to push? Yeah, because big tech has decided to um, side with the Ukrainians wholeheartedly um, when they decided that you're allowed to now call for violence against Russians, that was, I think, a pretty clear indicator to the Ukraine side that they could just lie without recourse. And sadly, I think both sides are, are using the same like KGB style disinformation playbook where there's just very little truth to be found in mm. the war fighting. Um, there was, of course, the Snake Island 13, which really um, bolstered the Ukrainian propaganda when we later found out that they all surrendered. And there was even like, you know, T-shirts and banners flying around the world about this, this, they reportedly said, you know, F you to the Russian ship. And then they, they died as martyrs. And then we later found out that they, they all just surrendered. (laughs) So it's just, yeah. that's one thing. And then there was a, there was, they were fighting in outside of a parking lot uh, outside of a nuclear plant. And Zelensky did this like TV address and claimed that the Russians were bombing the, the nuclear plant itself. And that's why he needed a a no fly zone. Um, It seems that Zelensky and the entire Ukrainian uh, parliament, the Ukrainian uh, foreign affairs officials, they are all just peddling false narratives. And, and, you know, the same could be said with the Russians, but, but what Ukraine is doing is that they've decided that their strategy for several weeks now has been, we need to get the West involved in this because we want support. And the Ukrainian government right now is so in the tank for the West that for them, it seems like they have most to lose here. So they, the last thing that they wanted early on at least was to actually negotiate with the Russians over you know, neutrality or allowing for them to officially, you know, legally annex some territories that they've already held for eight years. But it, it just seems to me that it, everyone's lying. Like the war propaganda is so bad. Um, the other day, tragically, an American journalist was killed. And I wrote about this at my publication, the dossier on Substack. Um, and the Ukrainian side, it was, it, it was this reporter was at a, a Ukrainian checkpoint. And what the what actually happened was that he was fired on by this like militia that was guarding the checkpoint. Then they were clearly Ukrainians because it was well within the lines of the Ukraine's defense and they blamed the Russians for it. And it was only the word of these Ukrainian soldiers that they had backing them. And the media just like reported it as if it was a fact. And you even had the guy's colleague who was in a Ukrainian hospital who said, who basically confirmed that it was, you know, a Ukrainian checkpoint that fired upon them. Um, It just seems that we're so detached from the truth because for whatever reason, whenever these, like you saw it with COVID, with when these reporters start to get like emotionally involved in an issue, they can't 
that for whatever reason, they just can't separate themselves from the story. And then they suddenly become activists. Um, I, I saw a quote, actually, an Australian reporter um, said that a Ukrainian soldier told her that Russians are hiding in the bushes all over and that and they're they're killing civilians. So the civilians that die on the Ukraine side are actually being killed by Russians. The quote she literally said they're hiding in the bushes. Like and then she just like reports it as fact. I think it was in Daily Mail Australia. It's just like ridiculous things like that that they don't even bother to think about it. They're just like, oh, I'm on Ukraine's side. So whatever they say must be true. Hmm. As soon as you said an Australian reporter, I felt the cringe, the inner cringe, because I thought our political activists and journalists are sort of one in the same and and the lines have become so blurred that political activism and journalism, you can't, yeah, I, I feel like most journalists are political activists. It's just how they kind of avert their social justice causes. So getting an impartial and objective journalistic approach to, you know, things that are happening, especially in Australia, I'm sure it happens in many parts around the world. It's, it's really difficult. So when he said that, I thought, oh, where is this going to go? And it went to the <laughs> bushes. So it, it didn't disappoint. It went exactly where I thought it would go. Um, but what I sort of, you mentioned something about eight years ago, um, and, and you sort of, and I'm sort of aware of some of the things around 2014 that kind of happened. Um, are you able to sort of elaborate on that a little bit for people who might not have an understanding? Mm-hmm. So the U.S.'s strategy to to deter the growth of Russia's military and its political power has been to mess around in Eastern Europe for two decades and launch what I think the Russians refer to as color revolutions, where we are really like pressing hard on the election, bringing in our own people, the US government's own people, and attempting to kind of like weaponize our propaganda to get our Western backed candidates in office. And in 2014, the US kind of ran point on the revolution in Ukraine. Again, this the Ukrainian people were the ones that showed up in the streets in 2014 and to depose the pro-Russian um, uh, Ukrainian leader, Viktor Yanukovych. But the American side, through our NGOs, our non-governmental organizations, through official assistance, you had our senators, our congressmen showing up there um, to kind of rally support. You had... Um, a lot of American money and American influence being spent in Ukraine to support this revolution, even when it became violent, to kind of chase the pro-Russian guy out of town. And the next thing you know is that for the next eight years, we helped create a, a government that is very hostile to Russia in on Russia's border. Um, specifically, in my view, just to screw with Russia. But was that really the best thing for Ukraine? Um, I would say no. I I think that the foreign policy adventurism and this like hyper aggressive uh, influence campaigns that the US government has been running in foreign countries that are very far away. I mean, Kiev is 5,000 miles away from the United States. I don't know the metric system uh, conversion, but <laughs> these, these places are very far from the nearest point in the United States. Mm. And we're just, the U.S. 
economy, society should not be in that type of position to be manipulating the world as we see fit. Uh, you see are, are the people that we have in charge right now with Joe Biden and, and our woke military generals. These are the last people you want to rely on when, when stuff goes bad. So we, we really need to get out of the business of doing that. Now, in your opinion, why do you think the West or America, for example, are so involved with Ukraine? Like what, what makes Ukraine so special? There's so many other countries in the world, but it seems to be that there's a lot of interest in that particular area. What, why do you think that is? Well, to put it quite frankly, I think Ukrainian oligarchs and leaders have signaled that they can be bought and paid for. <laughs> so there's a yeah. lot of uh, influential Americans such as the president's son, Hunter Biden, mm -hmm. who were willing to play those games. Our elite, our Western elites love to find places where they can launder a ton of money and influence. And this is what happens in Ukraine. Ukraine is ranked consistently. If you don't include Russia as part of Europe, Ukraine is the most corrupt country in Europe, according to any metric available. So we, um, our corrupt leaders, and there are many across the West, love Ukraine because they can use it for as their monetary or corruption playground. They can stash assets there. They can move money around. They can buy off um, influential people. They can work with these oligarchs to achieve their political ends. That, that I think that is the value to Ukraine in our ruling class. That's the reason why the president's son was sitting on the board of an energy company uh, for a no-show job, um, making a million dollars a year because Ukraine is just willing to be their leaders. Sadly, for the Ukrainian people, have been willing to be a part of this insane, corrupt regime that just continues to this day. Mm. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Obviously, um, I remember before this had even happened, there was lots of talk about Hunter Biden and Ukraine, and there was lots of dealings with a prosecutor and phone calls being made. There's, mm. there's been a lot, and that was before any of this. So I think it's fair to say you know, the objective truth is that it has been quite a corrupt government for some time, you know, the Russian issue aside. But what I sort of wanted to um, ask your thoughts on is the handling of America and other countries around the West with these sanctions and things. Like, do you think that has or, or weight or has any weight to curbing the invasion or um, is this just a virtue signal? What, what sort of long-term and short-term effects do you think these sanctions are going to have? Well, the sanctions, I think um, the, the issue with sanctions is that they can also be viewed as an act of war, especially with how incredibly punitive they've been against the Russian people. The sanctions just kind of sink all boats and we've been seeing that in the enormous rise of energy prices. Mm. Um, it, it's just, it's not a tool that I think is necessary to deter adversaries. And I don't think it, it works. The US has had an embargo on Cuba uh, forever and it hasn't done anything to flip the regime. In fact, people, the polling is showing that people are consolidating around Vladimir Putin, that they view the war effort as largely noble because there's 
over 10 million ethnic Russians in Ukraine. And these and they've kind of just like hardened into this anti-American position that they realize that the Americans are now responsible for ruining our lives, making it impossible to, you know, get to send money through our banks that are all sanctioned. They can't use Visa, MasterCard. They can't access services that they had access to a couple of weeks ago. It's just really punitive. And it I, what Russia is a has thousands of nuclear weapons. And I don't like the what I think is reckless escalation. I think that it, it, the our side and a bunch of other sides seem to just want to escalate this war to achieve their political aims when it's very clear to me that it, it, a ceasefire, a, a lasting ceasefire and, a, and an agreement to some kind of terms, is, you know, peace is in the best interests of, of everyone here. And, and the idea that like, we're just gonna take these economic sanctions and just like cancel all Russians is just so misguided. And I think it, it's really evil. You're, you're harming 150 million Russians and then it has cascading effects to the entire world, but you're harming people because of what uh, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin did, I think is, is totally unfair and incredibly immoral. I think there are a lot of innocent people on both sides that are being caught in the crossfire. And it, it is sad sort of seeing how, you know, the people who are are making all of the decisions don't seem to be the ones who are most affected by those decisions. And it's the people who kind of have no say and who just have to sit back and and go along for the ride that are, are the ones that are really suffering at the hands of all, all of this sort of um, sanctioning and, and cancelling, as you so mentioned. And it's interesting that you said that because uh, there was Facebook, I think it was, and, and social media basically said it's okay to target Russians now, um, that that's not going to go against our community standards and guidelines. I'm not sure if you saw that, but the way I interpreted that was like pretty much you can threaten that you're going to do all kinds of things and that's okay. But my goodness, you know, do not misgender someone because then you'll get booted off social media. So I don't know if that went over to America as well with the Facebook thing. Yeah, the the, the Russians, I, I've determined them to be that they're the new unvaccinated. And, then, <laughs> and they're, they've been labeled, um, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a tennis player, uh, Medvedev. I think he's like one of the best players in the world. And Wimbledon, which is in England, um, is one of the majors. And they said he's not going to be able to play this year unless he denounces Putin. And it reminds me so much of what just happened in Australia with Djokovic, where they said yeah. um, that he, he basically has to worship the vaccine in order to be allowed in to play. So yes. I, I think that the, the Russians are very much the, the new unvaccinated. It's just so easy for and the, the, these world leaders love it because they just spent the last two years terrorizing us and ruining our lives. And now they're just like, oh, look at that Putin guy. He's the one that's really causing all your problems. Yeah, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors for sure. And it's I'm amazed, I don't know about you, but just how quickly the narrative has changed and just how quickly it's sort of shifted. Like for the last two years, we've been locked in our homes. You know, for the last two years, you know, we, we haven't been able to visit our friends, our loved ones, all of this. And all of a sudden, you know, after even the last like, half of a decade where, you know, when Trump was in president, we, we 
couldn't care about borders. Like, my goodness, how dare you put a border and, and a wall? Like, like what a fascist, what a dictator. But now all of a sudden we really care about nations. We really care about, you know, borders and, and protecting it. And so the just the complete flip-flop with with social issues and stuff again is is a huge red flag but you know i am really um i'm sad for the innocent people who unfortunately are trapped between two evil plots and and things and are gonna suffer as a result of it but um we in Australia had, I'm not sure if you saw it, I think it went fairly viral, but we had our Q&A TV program over here, which is on our Australian broadcasting program, which is our taxpayer money. And a person with Russian background came on and just wanted to sort of ask a question um, from that perspective. And the host of the show kicked him off said, I actually can't handle this. It's really rude. And they actually kicked this young man off of our TV program. And what people don't realize is before going onto this program, you have to have your questions vetted. You actually have to show them what questions you're going to be asking. And then you get basically permission to ask it. So this question was vetted. Um, he, it was given the green light and he could ask it. And to be honest, like this kid, he didn't look like the most professional of characters. He ha he had a mullet, you know, uh, and he, as I said, as trying to explain to you before, he looked a little bogan um, in in his in what he looked like, and um, he was just asking an honest question. But he asked it really uh, politely, really respectfully, and he did it in a way that was definitely not uh, pro. Um, invasion of Ukraine that wasn't pro uh, killing of innocent Ukrainians or, or, or lives for that matter, yet we were so offended by it and he was essentially cancelled and he couldn't even ask a question. Are you facing similar type things with the media in, in America? It, it's, it's just as bad in the United States. I think I saw that clip, by the way. Um, yeah. So we started, our, our politicians started, Who I don't know who gave them this idea, but they started dumping out all the Russian vodka that they had, yes. or they started to pass like ex these governors started to pass governors, which is leader of these, the States, they started to pass executive orders banning the sale of like Russian vodka. And then we later found out that hardly any Russian vodka is imported to the U S <laughs> and that like these Russian brands are actually made in like, Switzerland, Germany, and the US, they just have like Russian sounding names. So for a week or so, everyone was dumping out their, their vodka in solidarity <laughs> against the Russians. And now there's this move to kind of just like harass Russian people and cancel them. Um, and they obviously have nothing to do with the war effort whatsoever, but it just seems that the, the Russians are enemy number one. And it just reminds me so much of what those of us unvaccinated folk had to deal with like you were just we were just being treated as something akin to people who would be would be spreading the plague around and and whatnot and um i i really hope it doesn't lead to violence because it just seems that like all through especially throughout american history even recent history in world world war ii um our government became extremely paranoid and we ended up putting Japanese Americans in camps for quite some time during the war yes. 
because like there were like two spies that happened to be Japanese American and they threw like hundreds of thousands of people in prison. Um, mm. So I, I worry that like the, the social paranoia, it, it, it's very unhealthy when it's becoming very tribal and um, it, it, it just like, it doesn't make any sense that there's, the, there's also these, these laws that I'm seeing in the UK where they're just seizing the assets of wealthy Russians. So mm. for me, it just seems like, like this is what their game plan might be for their political opposition. It eventually there's people on social, there's very influential people on social media actively calling for this stuff to have us all canceled, have our, our, our wealth confiscated. And this is what they're doing to the Russians. And I, and I would, uh, and I'm kind of like curious about if, if this is the next move for us too, because especially the, this international left, what they, I think, hate more than anyone is their own domestic political opposition. Um, I think they're using the Russians just kind of like as they're just making an example out of them and their their real target is their opposition. Yeah, I actually worry about the violence as well. I think I've seen a few clips going around where there are restaurants, like Russian restaurants that have had to boarded themselves up. There's been malicious mm -hmm. damage, property damage, like targeted sort of attacks on businesses. You get boycotting and you all like all of these roads point to a certain end unless they're stopped. And unfortunately, I do also worry, yeah, that there could be targeted physical violent sort of attacks on people who are Russian. And again, I feel like I have to put a clause here. I'm not on the side of Russia. I, I, I'm not on the side. I'm literally on the side of humanity, of the of innocent lives that are stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. Um, but where do you see all of this ending? Like, do you think that there will be a ceasefire? Do you think that there'll be negotiations? I think that the um, someone from Ukraine actually did have a meeting with Russia and it didn't really uh, eventuate where we were all hoping, which would be peace. Um, do you think that that's going to happen again? Or do you think it's going to escalate? Do you think that the West, like America and its allies, are going to get more involved as time goes on? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where do you kind of think this is all going? I think our, our regime wants to use Ukraine as a prop to fight Russia indefinitely. But I do hope that the Ukrainians and the Russians come to their, come to the table, get some kind of agreement in order. I think there's a very real possibility of that happening though. I am optimistic that um, the uh, Zelensky uh, said the other day that he's gonna rule out the NATO ask. And now he just needs to stop asking for a no fly zone to start World War III. Um, hopefully he's slowly moving. It's very difficult to tell what exactly, where exactly we're at in terms of like, is Russia winning? Is Ukraine winning? Who's taking these cities? Because all the propaganda, like in the US, if you ask anyone, they say Ukraine's just crushing these people, you know, the ghost of Kiev is firing down. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, one man air force. But reality is, it's kind of complicated. Uh, both sides seem to be losing a lot of soldiers. Russia seems pretty determined to continue fighting. Um, until they retain their objectives. But I do think that there's a very real possibility that especially the Ukrainian side um, can come to their senses, acknowledge reality, 
start to prioritize their own people, realize what neighborhood they're in, that it might not be a good idea to antagonize their superpower neighbor and just kind of find an agreement with real mediator parties um, that are not the United States, because I don't think that our Biden regime has their best interests in mind whatsoever. They just want them to be used as a pawn to mess with Russia. But there are a lot of countries that have good relations with both. And I think that they can maintain some type of peace between the two. And I think that's the ideal outcome. Um, and it needs to happen soon because as both sides lose more people, they need to continue to like escalate. And then that leads to more civilian losses and then they need to justify it and continue the war effort. So sooner rather than later, hopefully. Yeah. What do you think the no fly zone would mean for people who kind of, um, might just be sort of dipping their toe in the water. What does it practically mean if they implement these no-fly zones? So the the no-fly zone is like the ultimate piece of propaganda. Um, This whole like notion that we're just going to be flying around protecting their skies. The reality of a no-fly zone is that you need to um, maintain air superiority over the entire country. And for the U.S. to declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine... Um, would mean that we need to start shooting down all these Russian defense systems, these Russian aircraft, and probably having to do it because these defense systems are lined up on the Russian side, on the Belarus side of the border. So a no-fly zone, no one should mistake it for anything other than a declaration of war against Russia. And that would amount to World War III very quickly there's no like this idea that these um you know neoliberals and neoconservatives have that like we're just going to waltz on in there and and just fly our planes around it that's not at all how it works it 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 requires if they want american planes to be safe you have to do massive damage to russian uh, air defenses and that would uh, definitely escalate to the point where we're talking about like is either side going to use a nuclear weapon and I don't ever want to get to that point in our lifetimes at least so I I I think that a no-fly zone should be and it has been seen as a non-starter and should continue to be that way because a no-fly zone is effectively a declaration of war yeah I don't ever want to live through a nuclear war I, I I can't imagine the devastation and again the innocent lives that would get caught up in any of that um now America is uh, often seen as like the beacon of freedom for, you know, around the world. And it seems like um, everybody kind of looks to America. Like I know in Australia, we, we do as well. So kind of, you know, if, uh, if America has a cold, Australia has a cough, like that type of thing, you, you guys are our big brother. So a lot of us are hoping and praying that the American government do the right thing because that kind of leaves us over here. Does that mean we're going to be getting involved in this further mm-hmm. if, if it escalates? And unfortunately, we're, we're a little island in the middle of nowhere. Um, and while we have a really good military over here, if, if our forces and our resources are going to be elsewhere, does that leave us open for another sort of lurking in the background threat? Um, and th- there's a lot of there's a lot of things that this particular issue will affect and, and it has a ripple effect. And I think that 
like you mentioned, peace at this particular point in time is the best outcome for absolutely uh, everybody across the world, uh, not just Ukraine and Russia. So um, that's what we hope and that's what we pray for. But I wanted to talk about America. I feel like it's been a rough two years since since the election results or, you know, however you want to view that sort of came out. And a lot of people are sort of saying that um, that this war came at a pretty convenient time for Biden because maybe it distracts from a lot of the other things that he's been doing or been incapable of doing for the last sort of couple of years. But you still have two years left, am I right, with Biden as president um, and yeah, I, I kind of wanted to gauge from you what the state of America is like at the moment and whether you think the last two years it's, you know, uh, anything that sort of Trump gained has been lost or, or whether that's irrelevant or whether, um, you know, Biden is, you know, the most voted popular uh, political person that, uh, you know, the world has ever seen. Yeah, he said he got 81 million votes. At least that's what the that's what the tally said at the end. Um, Biden has become extremely unpopular in the United States very quickly. I think he has like at this point in his presidency. Usually, when they're a, a two-term American president in the modern era, it usually works out that the first term they're pretty popular. They get reelected. People start to sour on them quickly, and then by year seven, eight, they can't wait to get rid of them. The problem with Joe Biden is that he's extremely cognitively compromised <laughs> to an amazing degree. And he's like turned the country into a laughing stock because we just know that he's not capable of fulfilling his duties. But like our whole media pretends otherwise. Yet still, the polling shows that Biden's approval rating is well under 40 percent now, which is like a historic low for a first term president. Um I think that, so we have an election in two years, uh, November of 2024. So you, the, but we have um, midterm elections for our legislative branch coming up in November. So right now we have Democrats in control of everything. Um, and it seems that there will be a split government after these elections because Republicans, uh, the, It'll be a reflection of Joe Biden's performance and it's not going well. So chances are we will have a split government. The problem is that our government is just a total mess. If it's Democrat, Republican, um, they also I think they think very similarly these days. They put on a different, you know, a red hat or a blue hat. But um, they tend to, I think, in their smoke, smoky, dark rooms tend to agree on the same stuff and they don't really represent we the people. Um, I, I think that it, it's inevitable that Donald Trump is going to run. Um, it seems that he's just kind of waiting to make the announcement maybe at the end of the year. But the political situation in the US is as hectic as ever. Um, the question is, is will this incredibly powerful administrative state, you know, what some people refer to as the deep state, Will they let, what do they have? Like, what are they thinking next? Um, what are they going to do about Joe Biden? Because he's so compromised. And it's not really clear. 
I don't think that Joe Biden will even survive if he gets reelected. Like he's just in really bad shape um, for his age. I don't think he's even 80 yet, but he's clearly struggling incredibly with his mental deficiencies. Um, so they're trying to, I think they're going to try to find a replacement for him to run against Trump. The problem is that his the vice president, Kamala Harris, is like, has even lower popularity than him. And it's just like a total laughing stock. She was in Europe the other uh, last week, or it might've been earlier this week or last week, but she was like confused about what country she was in. She didn't know if they were a member of NATO. She couldn't really answer the question. She was like awkwardly laughing. And it was just, so the Democrats are actually going to have to find a way, go through some like weird process to find a new candidate. So that's what kind of like all of, the Republicans are thinking is like, who are, who is Trump going to run against? So I think that will be resolved in the next year or so, like, because Biden, I, I think is just totally incapable of, of running again at this point. Yeah, I, it's interesting as well, because I was going to ask you the question, what about the vice president, Kamala? Will, will they mm-hmm. want her to sort of step up? But, you know, you mentioned that she's just as unpopular, which, um, yeah, which uh, I, I can understand, as you mentioned, like, I, I'm not sure I've heard her articulate anything worth or, or with any substance. And she just constantly is just laughing in inappropriate moments. And she almost seems as deficient as Joe Biden with their public speaking and, and abilities and things. So maybe, dare I say, uh, will it be a rerun of the 2016 election between uh, Trump and Clinton? Like, dare I say, Jordan, that maybe will they revive uh, that sort of rivalry? I, I don't know if you think that's even possible or not. I, I think that, again, it's just that Hillary Clinton is very old too. And if you remember during her last campaign, she was not mentally struggling she was like physically struggling there was this famous clip there's a lot of things that are wrong with her there's this famous clip where she was in new york city and she started fainting and they just like her her security just kind of like threw her in the back of a van and drove away (laughs) like so i don't know if clinton is up for the task um and she is also she's unpopular but not as unpopular as kamala harris so people are thinking uh uh, Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> who's who's the Secretary of Transportation, he's up there. But he's also like the Democrats have a lot of issues when with trying to find a candidate. There's everyone's begging uh, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama's wife, to run for president. And I think she'd be a compelling candidate for the Democrats, yeah. but it doesn't seem like she wants to do it. So uh, I think the Democrat bench is almost non-existent and. I, they will be forced to figure something out if, if I was, but there's like a constitutional process that if you're going to step down, the vice president has the first shot at it. So if I'm Kamala Harris, um, I'm like basically watching my back at this moment for what might happen to me. So they don't go do something crazy and then find the next man or woman who's up um, yeah. in, in the pecking order. Uh, yeah. It, it, Hillary Clinton 
versus Donald Trump 2.0, I think would would bring a lot of media spectacle. Mm. But these are people who have who would have been aged eight years since then. They both be in their 80s. I think that one of the big problems in America is that we have our, our political leadership is all people for in their 80s. Nancy Pelosi's in her yeah. 80s. And they all have like these ridiculous issues. And I, I don't want America to be a laughing stock anymore. I'd rather us be led by someone who at least like, you know, has a couple of young kids and a family and is like semi-normal instead of like this like ancient decrepit, um, the, the personification of a declining empire. I want to try to reverse at least the optics of it. <laughs> It, it is rather fitting, isn't it? The uh, the like the physicality of our president of your I said our president. That's how much I like you, America. But the physicality of your president and I guess the state of your country they they look like they uh, coexist and, and correlate one another very well. It's very fitting. Um, but I feel like America isn't isn't all lost because there are there seem to be states in America which seem to get it right. I mean. A lot of people say Texas is good apart from, is it Houston maybe? There are a couple of cities which are quite blue, I guess. But for the most part, Texas is pretty good. Florida is like is like the oasis that, that everybody sort of is looking to. Um, it seems like, you know, there's a famous quote, if you, if you want to judge a nation, you give them bad leaders and you look around the world and we're certainly – got a lot of bad leaders, but DeSantis in Florida, he's, like you mentioned, a young man, a family man. He seems unapologetic. He seems pretty bold and courageous with his stance on things. And that seems like a pretty safe place for a lot of uh, people like ourselves. Would would you say that Florida and Texas, are there any more I'm missing out that kind of seem not as bad? Yeah, Florida and Texas are the big ones. I would, uh, you know, I'm a Florida resident. I think that uh, I left Washington DC for Florida at the beginning of COVID because like it was just so crazy that no one would was willing to leave their house and we had these crazy lockdowns. Um, we had some states really led by Ron DeSantis in Florida that opposed these measures coming down from DC and ignited a new uh, you know a movement that was kind of hibernating for a while um in the direction of individual life rights and human freedoms and having politicians and leaders prioritizing how important they were the, the just the simple having the autonomy to make medical decisions for yourself it, it had became a bold move again um so in the u.s you know, due to our federal uh, federalized system the state governors have a lot of flexibility to do what they can to preserve the freedoms of their citizens. And no one was better than DeSantis. Um, there were several states where things were decent, and but DeSantis certainly led that effort. And I think he inspired many other political leaders to grow a backbone um, and stand up for their citizens whose rights were just absolutely trampled. So. Um, I definitely have to commend him for that. And he's just, um, he, he's, he's widely revered in Florida. Like if you're looking, there's like these polls now that show he has like a 90% chance of winning re-election as governor. So people are thrilled with him. People are so supportive of the, uh, if you ask like a business owner in Florida about Ron DeSantis, they will 
tell you how thankful they are for what he did to stand up for them when when all these other uh, politicians were shutting down their businesses, not caring, freaking out for virus. There was there's definitely this, I think, newfound um, freedom movement that really started in Florida and some other states in Texas. Um, and it's it, it's it's an example for a definitely more potentially prosperous future for the American, uh, for American citizens. Yeah. Hmm. Would you say that um, people, I guess, Republican voters, people in the conservative sort of movement, the libertarian movement, people that are kind of more, I guess, pro-freedom and human rights and things like that, would you say that um, they're the minority or the majority in America holistically? Yeah, I think it's just like split down the middle right now. There's a lot of convincing that has to be done by both sides. And I think they recognize that there's an opening. Um, in 2020, it was very much just freedom went right out the window. But over the past couple of years, I think we've taken a lot of ground back. And these people actually expose themselves a lot, these tyrants that, you know, this is who they really are. And uh, I think that the momentum will hopefully continue in the direction of the pro-freedom side. I think it's kind of like a balance. Um, so we'll see. He's hoping and praying um, that that's what happens because I'm hoping it's infectious and then it, you know, comes over here to Australia and, you know, to some of the other sort of Western nations as well. But I wanted to ask you particularly about DeSantis. Um, I actually know a lot of people in this freedom movement new sort of ones, old sort of ones, who did something similar to you and moved to Florida um, as a result of sort of, I guess, the draconian measures that were put in place uh, for COVID. Um, but there are a lot of people who, again, I thought was sort of like-minded to myself and so, who sort of understood and, and sort of we saw we thought the same things who have just recently criticized DeSantis for that uh, bill that he put in with the LGBT communities in school and um, disclosing things to parents. And they actually spoke out against DeSantis, um, which I found confusing because I actually thought that bill was a great protection for our kids and the indoctrination. And I guess the agenda that unfortunately is pushed in school curriculums and with, you know, school teachers basically using it again like I said the classrooms become like a I guess a, a hub for political activism as opposed to learning and education so what could you explain to people who might not be aware what that particular uh, legislation was that DeSantis put in and and your sort of thoughts about that um yeah piece of law yeah, so there was this um bill and all it, there was this bill passed by the Florida legislature recently and the, the background is that the media views, the, the, our national media, not just in Florida, views Ron DeSantis as a major threat, um, perhaps more so than Donald Trump. They're terrified that he's going to someday be president. So they're seeking to destroy him by any means necessary. And if that means lying about the bills that he's passing or vetoing or the decisions and policies that he's enacting, executive orders, all that stuff, they are willing to completely deceive people about that because Ron DeSantis might be the new bad orange man one day. So they, are, they, they, they don't like the fact that he doesn't listen to them, that he has um, empowered people on our side and they want to destroy him. So the, the Florida legislator 
legislature passed a bill that essentially says that in in elementary school, so we're talking uh, five year olds through eight year olds can't be taught about uh, sex education, um, and especially including you know like the pronoun stuff, the the trans agenda stuff, and that's basically all that's in the bill. Is that it, uh, in my view? It is a bill to protect kids from like very weird public school teachers, and there are many who want to like impose this crazy woke pronouns leftist insane agenda on them. And it doesn't rule out like in high school or in middle school that these crazy teachers will try to do like the trans agenda stuff. It's simply for very young children, and they they they. Um, the, the, the media falsely labeled this the, the so-called don't say gay bill. Yeah. But what they don't say is that this specifically only applies, like this is about sex ed for very young children. So they, they ruled that out entirely and said that it is illegal to teach very young children about this. And this is the issue that the, the media is getting crazy about. They will never tell you the full truth about that because they're using it as a weapon to say, oh, Ron DeSantis hates gay people. No, he doesn't. He has no issue with anyone um, in that regard. So it's just it's just all political gamesmanship and and all of the Florida woke media like the Miami Herald and some other big ones are, of course, just on this train, just just lying uh, without any type of recourse and yeah, that's kind of the state of our press is that they will do anything and say anything to take out their opponents. They're just an extension of the regime at this point. Yeah, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I swear that's the motto that they run their their media by, unfortunately. But um, I think that the, the media... Um, if, if you look at every single major issue, social justice issue, anything that is going on, um, unfortunately, we're in a generation where you just don't know if you can believe what you're reading or seeing. Even videos are being manipulated. Uh, like going back just briefly to Russia and Ukraine, there was a video that um, a Ukraine press put out. Imagine if this happened to different parts around Europe and it was uh, you know, videos of bombs going off on the Eiffel Tower and places in London. And um, it looked really real. And so, you, you know, um, yes, it was to make a political point, but you've got to ask then the question, how far would they go to win the political point or, or to win it? And I think the last two years have been a good wake up call to all of us that, um, you can't trust the mainstream media and narrative and you have to go into alternative medias. You have to go into alternative um, sources, go direct like to sources themselves um, and by all means guard yourself really carefully because they're good at what they do. They, there's no doubt about it. They fool a lot of people. But that sort of leads me, you know, into into yourself. Before we sort of finish, I did want to get into the work that you do. I've always highly respected your journalism. You've got an incredible reputation um, for being accurate in, in things. And I'd love for people to kind of um, know where they can follow you. And maybe if you're working on something in particular at the moment, you can sort of share with us. That That would be great as well. Yeah, my 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 best written work is at dossier.substack.com. 
Um, and there'll be some stuff coming out about all these topics for sure. Um, if your readers and viewers and listeners um, want to go there, dossier.substack.com. Yeah, so much appreciate the shout out and had a great time talking to you. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know, things settle down and, um, you know, the world opens up and I'd, I'd love to come and experience Florida one day and see what freedom actually feels like. But until then, stay safe, stay warm and um, all the best. Yeah.